Welcome to the Text Help Talks podcast. We'll be bringing you a host of experts covering a range of topics from education right through into the workplace. So make sure you subscribe through your preferred podcast player or streaming service so you never miss an episode. On today's podcast, you'll be hearing from me. My name's Louise and I am the Workplace Solutions Manager at Text Help. And I'm delighted to have with me today Colin Maloney, who is Governance Manager at UK Civil Service. And today, Colin will be talking to us about his personal experience of dyslexia in the workplace. So thank you very much for joining us today, Colin. No problem. No problem. So Colin, for our listeners who perhaps don't know much about dyslexia, could you tell us a little bit about dyslexia? Yeah, um, from my experience, um, yeah. uh, most people when they hear dyslexia think it's reading and writing, but mm-hmm. it's um, several other bits and pieces. Like I have a terrible short-term memory, mm-hmm. uh, which is common among dyslexics. Um, I also have problems or had problems organising. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not very, or I wasn't very good. I had to train myself to to organize work and, and stuff like that so i met targets um so i have strategies to deal with my dyslexia and one of the most important ones is um text help reading right to be brutal um it helps me when i'm drafting emails it helps me when i'm drafting any work related papers um it picks up spelling mistakes uh homophones all the things that uh dyslexics have problems with um, and I've been using it for about 20 years. Brilliant. So technology's really played a big part and then the, the support that you you have used for dyslexia. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I did have, I'm not a young chicken, shall we say. Um, <laughs> I uh, did have a, a workplace occupational health assessment done a, a nearly six years ago um, from a specialist team. And uh, they um, emphasized the use of text help because I was using it and I showed them how I used it. And they gave me other areas that I could develop and understand a bit more with my dyslexia. But ultimately, the, one of the keys has always been text help, read and write, just to be sure that I don't say anything in emails that I shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I could give you a really good example of where I, I was uh, writing shoot and it came out of something rather different shall we say and that was picked I can imagine, up by yeah. text help read and write which was good uh, <laughs> Brilliant. That, uh that it didn't didn't go off uh, and that was to a supplier so you know it was even better that it was picked up by text help read and write before <laughs> i sent it so you know that that that's one of the uses for for text help read and write so that's great to kind of hear about the support you have now but at what stage do you realize that you had dyslexia or where did it kind of become apparent that you maybe needed a bit more support well, that is a very long story. Uh, okay. Back to um, uh, two weeks before I sat my A-levels, which was in the early 80s, mm-hmm. um, a teacher who said um, I may have some um, literacy problems mm-hmm. uh, got me to go to a uh, a school, another school uh, that that's specialist in dyslexia for an assessment. So I was 18 and had that assessment two weeks before my A-levels and it made no difference at all because I didn't get any extra time or anything because mm-hmm. in those days it wasn't considered. Mm-hmm. Um, I then went to university and just dived, couldn't cope with it, 
there's too much written work, too much everything. So I left university and then I went to work in an unemployment benefit office in the early 80s mm-hmm. where you didn't need any writing skills, frankly, uh, because all I was mainly doing was interviewing people as they came in. Uh, then, I'm, then I um, took a big step and went to uh, another government department where it turns out there was an awful lot of reading and writing and mm-hmm. uh, I was having a really bad time, um, almost sacked because of that um, mm-hmm. and basically because it wasn't really recognised in those days. Um, so what happened then, I ended up with a really good line manager who put me in for an, an, my first occupational health assessment in um, late 2000 and at that assessment one of the key recommendations was more time for writing but also text out read and write (laughs) and um, that's why I've been using it for 20 years Um, it's been such an eye-opener for me Um, it it helped me take um, effective notes at meetings that I could Mm -hmm. then type up check recheck and, and get them done so the issue of my um writing ability went out the window because i had the important adjustment of having the software mm-hmm. and you had mentioned obviously there was a particular role that you had worked in where there was a lot of reading writing and you, there was that fear of actually losing your job yep. you know was there any discussion at that time around that fear of was there no. any support you needed it was just basically that no. was you know, yeah your stuff wow. uh, but then this new line manager um was uh, a really great really supportive he basically mm-hmm. told, tapped me on the shoulder, said, I've got a vacancy. I didn't actually know him very well there. He said, I've got a vacancy. Do you want to come over to me? Mm-hmm. And um, his role, were, the role that he gave me meant that I would be out visiting certain schools. Um, mm-hmm. I would have to take notes of governor's meetings, have to take notes of other meetings, supply them to the rest of the team to review. And at no point did I end up being told that the written work wasn't adequate or wasn't up to par. And um, it, over about two years, it rebuilt my confidence in my own abilities, which then led me to get promotion. Brilliant. And the new team I was in, I explained to them, the line manager uh, gave him a copy of my um, assessment, occupational has- assessment that was done. Uh, and he said, no problem. We'll do whatever we can for you. And, and the reasonable adjustments came from that assessment with me into this new job. And um I was in that job for five years and then I got promoted again into my current post mm-hmm. um, and I brought the reasonable adjustments with me and the line manager then was really good as well. We said, fine, not a problem. We want you for this job. You know what you're doing. You're the perfect candidate and reasonable adjustments are there. So that was um, 2007. Mm-hmm. I then got promoted again in 2009. Um, there was a shaky point in um, 2014-15 where the issue of my written ability came up again. Well, not my written ability because I couldn't really do that. Um, it was organisational ability. And that then led to that assessment I was talking about earlier in 2015, mm-hmm. which uh, re-emphasised the use of, of text up, read and write and other stuff like time management, how to organise my work uh, uh, and prioritise the work. So, yeah, um, I... I just feel that uh, text out reading bright has been, how can I put this nicely, a, a, a substantial part of me making my promotions to where I am well, today. No, 
that's great to hear you know the impact that, that it's been able to have on you and, and we're so happy to continue supporting you know so many people just like yourself kind of through that journey so that that's really positive to hear yeah it, I, I, the, the, the current version is the best version I've ever come across I have to say that and um, I, I do as much as I can to encourage staff mm-hmm. to 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 um, consider using it mm-hmm. um, and I've shown them how I use it um, I I do a best within my current uh, uh, department to, to make sure staff uh, get access to it uh, so they can use it as much as possible. I've used a lot of your publicity materials as well that you've sent through. Um, I'm also part of the civil service dyslexia, dyspraxia network. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I keep um, trying to jump through hur- hurdles there with some departments who um, won't change from your version. I think one department is still using your version 10, which, wow. you know, is <laughs> nowhere near as good as your yeah. version 12.5, mm-hmm. the, the subscription license. Um, uh, and I've been saying, well, why not? Why don't you get the best version for your staff possible? Mm-hmm. You know, and it is the best version, and you know, there's no two ways about it. And it's a lot easier as it's a subscription license to get the updates, and mm-hmm. uh, because um, what I've noticed and what I've been told as well, you're working with Microsoft mm-hmm. to ensure that it works well across the Microsoft products, which is the main, um, should I say, product that uh, civil service government departments use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether it's Excel, Word, or Outlook, you know, um, and a Textile Read and Write, the new version is works brilliantly with all of them. Yeah, no, totally, and it definitely makes sense as well because we know systems are constantly updating, which is why we are constantly trying to to update Read and Write to kind of complement that as well and, mm. and give end users the best experience that that they can possibly have, which which is great. Um, so again, Colin, you had mentioned there, obviously, when you've went to different roles that you had uh, brought up that you needed workplace accommodations. Yeah. How do you find that across the the civil service? Is that, are other people open to talk about it? Do you think there's still a bit of a stigma or what? what's the kind of attitude towards workplace accommodations do you find now? Well, um, I think that now there is a central civil service team that manage reasonable adjustments or support reasonable adjustments. They're based in cabinet office. They are really good. Mm-hmm. If there's an issue, you can go to them and they will support the individual, the line manager in the issues. I think nine times out of 10, the, the usual issue is the individual accepting that they need some help. And um, that's a key point. Um with reasonable adjustments, you have to accept that you need that help. Mm-hmm. You have to accept, and it's sometimes a really big step. And then the next question is, if you accept it, do you have, and sometimes it does take courage to say, I need help. What 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 can be done to help me? And obviously there are various avenues in the civil service. Uh, like most in, in employment, there is um, uh, the the access to work, which mm-hmm. is one option. Um, most government departments will have access to a work occupational assessment, which uh, I think is usually the best avenue for someone with dyslexia or dyspraxia or mm-hmm. even autism, because then you have someone who knows about that to to advise you on the on the best steps forward. But it's important that you as an individual feel confident to take that step. Mm-hmm. And um that's what we're trying to do in our civil service is give an environment that allows someone to say, look, I've got an issue. 
what can you do to help? It is a difficult step to take and it depends on your relationships with your line manager. But I would always say, take that step. Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, the ultimate factor is if you have a disability, you are protected by the Equality and Human Rights Act. Yeah. And dyslexia is mentioned in the Equality and Human Rights Act. Mm -hmm. Um, But like most hidden disabilities, people aren't going to know that you have that yeah. disability and mm-hmm. um, until you go and get an assessment. Like uh, I was talking about when I was at school, uh, uh, one teacher when um, just the day before I took my A-levels came up to me and said, oh, I hear you've been assessed as being dyslexic. Now, I'd known this teacher for seven, six years. He mm-hmm. said, I always knew there was a problem, Colin, but I didn't know what it was. You know, so that's yeah. the kind of example in those days in the in the early 80s even up to the 90s there was you know it wasn't recognized in education Mm -hmm. but um, hey ho we are where we are yeah i mean that's something we hear quite a lot from a lot of the organizations that that we work with that um it's they're aware of conditions they may be aware that people are maybe struggling but sometimes they don't want to either ask in case of saying the wrong thing or you know in that sort of case what sort of advice would you give you know do you think they should ask do you think you know they should how do you think they should best approach it ultimately it is up to the individual Mm -hmm. but I would always say it's better to ask Mm -hmm. it's better to take that step into the deep end Mm -hmm. Because if you take that step, you may find something that um, opens your eyes. Mm-hmm. Like me, I mean, for 18 years at school, well, wherever, whatever period I was at school for, uh, the comments that uh, we I used to get in my school reports were saying, Colin is intelligent, but doesn't show it on paper. That was one of the ones. And I remember when I, uh, the ultimate memory I have of primary, and it is my, one of my only memories of primary school, was a teacher slapping my right hand and calling me, You'll know this term because you're Irish, bone idol, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, and that's that's one of my memories from primary yeah. school. And ultimately, uh, uh, I am um, glad that that kind of attitude has changed in education. It is acceptable for it. Um, uh, my my um, youngest daughter, she's um, 23 now. Um, we thought that there was an issue with her so we actually went and got attested at the dyslexia um action or what british dyslexia association when she was seven mm-hmm. so we then took that to the school and all the way through her education she got additional time for exams additional support and mm-hmm. um she graduated with a, de- a, a degree in um creative writing from Greenwich University two years ago yeah and she she got a one one in it you know and uh, I couldn't be more proud of her um you know but we managed to secure that when she was very young because you know dyslexia is for life it doesn't disappear even with reasonable adjustments it doesn't disappear it's there totally and that that's the perfect example of when somebody is given the right support the right tool what they can do and the abilities uh, that they can have because as you say you know just because you can't write it in perhaps the way or communicate it in the way doesn't mean you don't know that information so it is just allowing that sort of flexibility to whether it is more time yeah. or having additional tools that they can they can make the world of difference and, and do you see that well, that's in, an interesting in... part of read and write yeah because uh, if you have the extra time you can then use that software to its best mm-hmm 
Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to you were going to give me a question. No, no, that was great because that, that actually brings on to another question. Is there any key features within Read and Write? Uh, uh, obviously, there's there's different uh, feature sets that we have, but is there any key features that work particularly for you and kind of the way that you work? Well, I can't remember what the name of it is, but there's a <laughs> the, on the toolbar. There's the one at the end that that learns from what you've written. And then yes. knows where your mistakes are and, and can adjust it straight away. I love that feature on the new, uh, on the new uh, uh, license on, on, on the 12.5. It is brilliant. I just love it. Uh, mm-hmm. It is so good that it then can hit on things that I keep doing wrong and just change them straight away. It's, it's brilliant. But, yeah. but um, I, I do like the way it reads back everything to you and then uh, it does a spell check before it starts reading it and lets you know that, that uh, what you've done may have been wrong. I like mm-hmm. it how, it how it picks up technical questions, you know, uh, that you may have used something that it's not aware of and then it learns on that. So if you use it again, it doesn't question it. Just think it, it is all around a really good piece of software for uh, dyslexics. And anyone else, for that matter, mm-hmm. um, you don't need to be, have dyslexic to use this software. I just, you know, it is a really good, um, if you're writing stuff quick, you will inevitably make mistakes, but then mm-hmm. text out, read and write can pick it up. Definitely. And I mean, I suppose we can't really go uh, with going through the podcast without imagine, uh, mentioning the dreaded COVID word, but um, <laughs> particularly for what, for what we have found, particularly since lockdown, we've seen a lot of organisations starting to think about, as you had mentioned there, how to help all staff, not just those staff with particular particular needs. There was definitely a lot of organisations who, and particularly around sort of diversity and inclusion as well, became a, nearly a bit of a hot topic um, during sort of the past six months where neurodiversity, which we would talk about, which dyslexia obviously falls under, um, was becoming quite a big topic because as well, people were starting to see as you say, everything was written communication now. You couldn't just pop over to somebody's desk and say, can I grab you for 10 minutes? Or, you know, you were having yeah, meetings. It yeah. was on emails or live chats where you were sort of chatting more. Um, and I think people had started to see maybe our heightened awareness of maybe sort of those some of those neurodiverse conditions, such as dyslexia and autism, some of those conditions. Yeah, well, I think you're right. I, th- I think because people are working from home, those mm-hmm. issues to come to the fore uh, and it depends again if the individual then wants to take that that step and i think that's what's vital that, mm-hmm. that that staff are able to take that step and don't feel that you know be penalized by taking that step so mm-hmm. you know that's the important if the environment is right then um you can you can have that conversation and take it forward mm-hmm. um so that that's what i would say again it depends on the environment where you work Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel you can take that step, because it is a big step with uh, neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. Um, as you've said, autism is one of the big ones that's really hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and dyslexia, although it is not a visible um, disability, is a difficult one to call. I mean, it, what we're aware at the moment is the uh, National Disability Day in December, mm-hmm. which you're probably aware of. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is a uh, sort of podcast ourselves. Of, uh, four different um four members of staff with four different hidden disabilities because i believe that was the theme it, w- it was going to be mm-hmm. so we have um four different people discussing their hidden disabilities mm-hmm. and of course my arm's been twisted severely to do it so i'm doing that as well for my sins mm-hmm. yeah and um, i suppose um 
that awareness piece, though, even having those days talking about hidden disabilities, you know, obviously the result is that obviously the awareness will increase. People will feel mm. more confident to, to talk about uh, those organisations. You know, we always use the example of if you or when you're creating a building, you know, you create your building for people with physical disabilities. You know, you'll create that ramp into the building. You'll have lifts, you know, the accessible door frames, accessible bathrooms. So we always sort of ask the question, you know, are you prepared for those hidden disabilities? I think organisations always kind of go, oh, but we don't know. We're not sure, you know, and it's kind Mm. of sort of where do we start? What do we do? You know, is there any sort of advice or um, sort of information you could give on maybe where organisations start if they haven't already? Well, the, in the civil service, there are um, disability networks and the different names across all teams. And um, we would suggest that you start talking to those networks mm-hmm. to get ideas from them about mm-hmm. what, what it could be. Now, it could be uh, um, we moved into a new office about in my current department about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And the old one used to have significant problems with the lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I'm guessing you're aware that that can cause problems, yep. migraines and not being able to see the screens when they flicker. But that was then taken account when we moved into the new building. So mm-hmm. that was a, that was a positive thing. But, you know, ultimately, it's talk to your staff. Yeah. See what see what they can tell you and see what you can do to accommodate them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it it's ultimately in that conversation that you can either take it forward and if you don't take it forward explain why you can't take it forward but you have to have that conversation in the first place mm-hmm. i would always say don't assume yeah you know uh, it's important not to assume you may have put the ramp in but is that ramp accessible in its own right you know uh, it's an interesting point but it's a valid yep. one it's always the uh, the kind of rationale of you're being accessible for accessible sake, you know, just because you're doing something oh, doesn't yes. necessarily mean it's accessible. Um, you know, actually, and as you say, talking to those users, those um, whether, again, physical, hidden disabilities, involving them in that process, I think is really key. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It could be that uh, I've mentioned the lighting, but it could be um the uh, uh normal lighting through windows you know yeah. if they're if that's blocked off and you're in a dark area that you know i would hate to be in that environment because i wouldn't be able to do any piece of work so you you know you've really got to talk to people to find out what their needs are someone who suffers from migraines the mm-hmm. lighting could be mad it could be terrible on them yeah but unless you talk to someone you're not going to know that yeah exactly um so no, that's been really, really informative. And I know I've sort of asked about advice you would give to organisations, but if there was one one piece or one sort of takeaway you would want organisations to think of, whether it's employers, managers, to sort of help their team, what, what would that be? Well, in my experience, it's not sort of policies or anything It's that make the difference. It's um, managers and people that make the difference. So I would say if you train managers to understand this, then you are doing a huge step in making it easy for the individual to declare, particularly hidden disabilities. Yeah. You know, it's a really big step in making it a comfortable environment for it to be declared and, and taken forward so the individual won't feel um that they're in an awkward position declaring it or discussing it, the environment has to be there for them to talk. So that will be the first step. Mm-hmm. The other step would be is um, if you do have a, a disability network, talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, let them help you yeah. when you're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. No, well, well, Colin, I think that's been really informative. I really enjoyed chatting to you today. Uh, and I'm sure all of our listeners will have learned a lot from your experiences as well. So thank you very much uh, for joining us today. So thank you. No problem. My pleasure. Uh, Yep. And if anybody wants to find out any more information um, about any of the support that TextHelp offers, uh, particularly around neurodiversity, you can find them at text.help forward slash neurodiversity hyphen resources. So thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to TextHelp Talks on your preferred podcast player or streaming service for your next episode. Thanks again. Bye. Cheers.